I learned in graduate school many, many years ago uh, from one of my favorite professors who discussed uh, communication and leadership. And, and he said, you know, there's, there's power, there's influence, and there's authority. Those are the three things that you have as a, as a leader. Welcome to CEO Brain Food. Every episode, entrepreneur, CEO, founder, and host Michael Langhout will bring you key insights, fresh perspectives, and proven tools you can apply to your business. Thought leaders and CEOs will be interviewed as we explore winning strategies for scaling a company, generating profits, and building lasting enterprise value. Here's Michael. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here, as always, with my producer, Harry Duran. Hello, Harry. How's it going today, Michael? You know, it's going great. I was with a client uh, all day yesterday, a CEO and their leadership team uh, here in this in the Seattle area. And, you know, we were really talking about the team and building a cohesive team. And that is our topic today. So it's really fresh and I'm excited to talk about it. I'm sure the listener thinks we've planned these out exactly to the T with the timing, but it just so happens that this is the topic for today. And you just so happen to be talking to a client on this topic. So sometimes things work out nicely. You know, the coaching uh, God smiled on me, I think. The stars lined up. I'm not sure what it was, but it just, you know, sometimes in coaching, you go into a situation uh, all prepared with an agenda and uh, you, you show up and, well, there's an issue. And that's what we had yesterday. We just kind of went off agenda and really got into some of the uh, issues with this team. It's a really the, the topic of, of cohesive teams um, is the topic, and that's really what we were talking about. So, you know, it, it's a characteristic that we commonly see in high-performance uh, teams is the cohesive nature of that team. It's kind of a measure of the attraction of the group to its members or resistance to leaving it. I mean, if you're on a team, you'd, hopefully you'd want to be on that team. You'd, you'd be passionate about it. You'd care about your teammates. And have compassion for them, listen to them, have empathetic listening, uh, have high um, emotional intelligence, EI, as they call it, all of those things. So I just wanted to kind of unpack that a bit on this uh, particular episode because it really has um, direct impact to your to your team, to your team building. And I'm here, I'm talking about the, the leadership team, the CEO, the leadership team. These would be the folks that are leading their various uh, departments or divisions. Um, they have people following them, right? So so often in business today, people are siloed and focused on their own objectives, uh, you know, sort of with blinders on. They're going through their day. Um, they lose sight of the overall purpose of the company, uh, the direction of the company, sort of the strategy of it, the and the goals um, executing on that strategy of the company. And this is especially true in a distributed workforce when you have uh, virtual uh, teams that are coming in remotely via Zoom or, or uh, go to meeting or even just phone calls, they're not physically present. Um, and sometimes it's difficult to, to participate in active listening and represent, you know, your full participation in the room as you would if you were in the room. Do you think this is affected by the size of the team? Or do you find that there's a sweet spot when it comes to how some of these work sometimes? 
Yes, most definitely. I mean, it would it would it would naturally follow that a smaller team is easier to to come together in a cohesive state than a much larger team. Let's say a team of five to eight, in my view, is uh, is ideal. Uh, that would be core. And there, you're thinking about uh, the CEO and you know the the division heads, the head of sales, head of marketing, head of operations, CFO, you know, head of finance, all of that. And so you've got five, six, seven, maybe eight people on the team. Teams that are larger than that, and they certainly exist. I mean, I have a number of clients that teams are, you know, 10 or 12 or even more. But really, it's best to be limited to the number of people that you would have naturally reporting to you. And I think that number shouldn't probably exceed more than five to eight people. Otherwise, you're, you're spread you're spread way too thin and you just can't, uh, you can't get a handle on them as individuals, what's going on in their lives, helping them, coaching them, et cetera. It's very difficult to do that with uh, 10 or 15 people. So as a coach, I, I look at those teams and say, you know, the best ones are, are probably slightly smaller. Five to eight um, is good. And, um, you know, and, and having them physically present um, is so important. It's, it, you know, when you're in the meeting and you're, and you're working through issues, particularly deep, intimate issues, and there might even be some emotion involved. Uh, I had one last week with, uh, with a team that uh, I was on a three-day leadership retreat with them, developing strategy and working through some issues. And uh, it would have really been almost impossible to have someone not be present, but coming in via phone. It, it just wouldn't have had the same, the same effect, the same feel. We made huge progress, and oftentimes that, you know, people's emotions come out during that time, men and women. So being present is is important. Um, and and when you're present, it's important to be fully present. Right. And by that, I mean, the, the phones are on airplane mode. We're not distracted. If we have uh, laptops, we're not banging away on the keyboards. Uh, I know a lot of teams today use, like to use their technology. They, you know, their laptops are open, their smartphones are open, et cetera, because they're wanting to be present uh, 24-7 to their, to their communities. And I just really insist that unless it's an emergency, just turn it all off because you don't have them fully present. I feel like that's getting harder and harder now, right? I've even heard of this idea of collecting phones before you enter important meetings. I don't know if that still happens. <laughs> that does happen. I, I've not taken it to that extreme. I trust my people to the point of just saying, look, just put it on airplane mode. And again, unless, you, unless you've got an emergency, and always there's someone in the room, oh, I, well, I have, I'm expecting a phone call or I have an emergency. And, you know, that's all right, whatever. But it's you know, the point is that it's just best not to have those distractions because you really, really want to be focused on the topics that you're discussing. And if you're truly going to be actively participating, and active participation means that you're paying attention, you're quieting your mind, you're focusing on the issue, you're, you're managing your self-talk, right? Everybody's minds wander, mine included. And so how do we check that? You know, how do we manage that? And so it's an active participation, active listening. So there's a difference between listening and, and hearing, right? Um, so you can hear if your mechanics of your cochlea and your ear are working properly. You can hear and you can listen. But what is your brain doing? And if your brain is working on other stuff while this external noise is coming in, noise being the subject at hand, 
and you, you, you really literally can't do two things at once. And so you really need to focus on getting that noise down from inside your brain. In that way, people will participate at a much, much deeper level and it'll be a higher quality uh, output uh, from the meeting. But anyway, back to the topic, it's, um, I think it is important to, to talk about these things because when we have meetings, we're committing a huge amount of staff uh, resource to these meetings. There's a big chunk of payroll that goes into them, particularly if they go a half a day or all day, as mine often do. Um, and at the level that we're, we're dealing with, um, you know, that's, that's a, a lot of committed time where we're working on the business and really kind of moving away from the business, working in it to working, to working on it. But back to the topic of the, of the leading, uh, the high-performing cohesive teams, I just really do believe that leadership, if you're going to step into that role, takes a lot of courage, devotion, takes patience just takes a lot of dedication and care, particularly of the, those people that, uh, you know, are working with you. And your people, by the way, are going to determine whether you're a leader or not. I mean, you may have the title. I learned in graduate school many, many years ago uh, from one of my favorite professors who discussed uh, communication and leadership. And, and he said, you know, there's, there's power, there's influence, and there's authority. Those are the three things that you have as a, as a leader. And you're given the power by virtue of the fact that you've got the job. And you have the authority also because you've got the job. But until trust builds, until you can get into the higher levels of leadership, and I'm thinking there of Maxwell's level five leadership. John Maxwell is one of the great writers in leadership, and he has a, a, a process of level five leadership taking you through level one, two, three, four, and five. And as you get up to levels three and four, you're really performing, you're, you're, you have a following, you've built trust, you would never ask anybody to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. You look over your shoulder, people are following you. At that point in time, you have some influence and that's earned and it takes a lot of time and effort and passion. But when I say that the job of the leader is to set the vision and to articulate the processes in the company, what I'm really saying is there is that you, you really don't manage people. You may lead them, you may be a leader, and you may be leading them by your vision. They're following you because they follow your vision and they like you, but you're not really managing them. What, what you're doing is you're managing a process and holding your people accountable to that process. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Our people, if we've hired the right people, they're completely capable of managing themselves. I mean, look, who wants to be micromanaged. Uh, nobody I know wants to be micromanaged. I certainly don't. And I don't want to mic micromanage anyone. That's a fine distinction. People often think of the word managing as it relates to people, one person dictating the outcome to another. But I think what you've outlined here makes much more sense. This idea of managing the process and ensuring that you have the right people in place who are there because they want to do that job. Yeah, it's, it's people, product, and processes. Those are the three P's, right? And and so when you think about it, so many of my clients present early on, they come to me and say, well, you know, we've got a problem in uh, execution. You know, we're not executing on our strategy very effectively. We're, we're in total chaos. It's like the, as I say, it's a lot like turning the hockey match, which is totally chaotic, you know, into the ballet, which is totally prescriptive and and, and beautifully done. And you do that by clearly articulating your processes in a business and making sure that the processes are tested out and proven. 
and iterated to the point where all the questions are asked and answered. It's smooth. It's done. And then you train your people to those processes. I get this all the time where, you know, gosh, we did this two, three years ago, Coach Mike, and we identified these processes, but now we have all of these people and they've done workarounds because they weren't trained properly in the processes. And so we go back into the files, we go back into the archives, pull out the process, look at it, make sure that it's right, bring them out, and then we start training people. It's a constant process of iteration and training. And by the way, the people that are trained up on the processes ultimately know those processes better than anybody else. And so those would be the people that are ideally suited to train others. But we're not managing people. We, we, we need to be really clear about that as leaders. Um, our job is to, as leaders is to articulate the vision so that it's crystal clear, make sure that everybody in the company understands the core values and the purpose of the company, the vision of it, where are we headed, and continually reinforce that through time with everybody. That's the constant mantra of the CEO but then to make sure that all of the department heads have all of their processes clearly identified and then train the people to those processes. And really, that's, that's it. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot more complicated than that. This is not rocket science. Creating that cohesiveness on the team then is, becomes the, the number one job beyond communicating those foundational principles. That really becomes the number one job of the CEO. And take a drink of water here, Harry. And how, how does the CEO develop a highly functional, cohesive team? You know, Patrick Lencioni is one of my favorite authors, and he has his, uh, his famous book, the Overcoming the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And the very first foundational piece to that is developing trust. And it's a vulnerability trust, not a predictive trust. So in other words, obviously, you'd want your people to be able to predict your behavior in any given situation, if you're traveling, you're gone or something and something comes up, they would, hey, what, you know, what would he do, he or she do in this situation? That's predictive trust. But here we're talking more about vulnerable trust. It's a trust that comes as a result of saying, um, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not the best person uh, and most highly qualified person to answer that question. For instance, if there was a problem, hey, I'm accountable to that. That's my bad. That's on me. I, I messed that one up. Or something like, hey, raising your hand, hey, I need some help here with this situation. I can't do this on my own. Those can be difficult things for leaders, particularly at the high level, where their ego may get in the way. And so a leader at that level needs to be humble if they're going to be developing trust. So that's, that's a very, very key element. And then, and then, of course, being able to have a high emotional quotient and be, be emotionally intelligent. So aware of everyone's, we call it a barometer. So when we do a check-in before every meeting, I ask the team to give me a personal high or a professional high that has happened over the last week or two weeks or a month or however, whatever time period since we last met. And what is their barometer? How are they feeling right now? I mean, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, whatever. What, I mean, where, where are they at? And so we know then as a teammates where our mate is 
is coming from. They may be upset about something. They're, they may have just had a an illness in the family or a death. They may have had a financial collapse. There might have been a, a problem with one of their siblings or a, a child, an illness of some type. And, and we need to be aware of those things because they do impact the behavior of, of that teammate. And so it helps us to understand where that person's coming from. Developing that emotional intelligence then becomes becomes a challenge. And, you know, there's some tools for that. So one is just to make time for the team members to appreciate each other's um, skills, you know, and then raise and manage emotional concerns that can help the team's progress. In this session that I was in yesterday, uh, we had a we had one of our one of the people in the room had a had a real problem with uh, allergies. It's just you know it's springtime here in the Northwest and going into summer and and they were uh, they were really struggling with that and it was affecting them to the point where they couldn't breathe very well and it was there they had an earache and actually starting to really struggle and so um, I noticed that and it wasn't really obvious to other members. It was from my vantage point. I could see it pretty clearly. And so I stopped the meeting and called it out and said, hey, we have a teammate here that's struggling. And that as we ended the meeting later in the day, this teammate was able to overcome their problem. They went down and we, we were able to get some medical help for them. And at any rate, at the end of the meeting, it was brought up that uh, and mentioned, you know, that I cared enough and I saw that and I was aware um, of that person's uh, physical and emotional state. And I think that's really, really important. What you also did there was set the tone, or you actually led by example. It may have been the elephant in the room, but he probably felt bad that he was interrupting the meeting. So I think you set the context for that and for what was important, which I think resonated with everyone who was there. Harry, great point. And, and you're right about that. It It's something that we don't often talk about, and that's the cultural norm of interruption. At what point do we interrupt someone's train of thought or their delivery in a, in a thought process or even a presentation? And, you know, there are, there are certain things that you would, you would want to bring to someone's attention, and a medical issue would certainly be one of them. Um, I, I don't mean to state the obvious, but if someone's having a you know, a problem, a medical problem in the room, then, you know, stop the meeting. And I, I mean, it's like uh, the old uh, Japanese concept in the manufacturing facilities. If someone sees a problem, they hit the red button, which is line stop, just stop, deal with the issue and then, and then carry on. So looking for the tools that are needed to help with team development and the ongoing development of cohesiveness, the stickiness of everyone in the room, being together and caring for each other. You as a leader, and let's say you're a CEO of a company and you're wondering, well, how the heck do I do that? There's six key points that I would want to leave you with as we wind this episode down. The first would be that you have a clear set of objectives that your vision and your strategy is well-developed and clearly explained, and that all team members are very clear about their accountabilities and their processes, and to encourage each of the department heads to identify and develop 
and refine those processes, iterating them until all questions are asked and answered. The second would be that you'd want a set of KPIs, which are key performance indicators. The closer that you get to granularity and numbers in business in any discussion, the better it's going to be. The thing that really kills all of this is generalities. And I'll be specific there. Uh, So for instance, in our meeting yesterday, it started out by the CEO saying, we have a cultural problem. Okay, well, (laughs) that's great. Let's deal with that. You know, break it down, be a little bit more specific. And so we got a little bit more specific. And then through a a series of questioning, we got very specific and it came down to one person in one situation and then another person in another situation. And pretty soon we were able to clearly identify the problem and we were able to work through uh, the issue once we knew what uh, what the real problem was. And back to trust, if you are in a trusting environment, you have conflict. Really, conflict is nothing more than the pursuit of truth if you have a trusting relationship. So what you're really looking for is the truth, and the truth can be expressed in specifics, either a specific situation or a specific number. So everything needs to be measured. You want to be doing ongoing training. Training is something that oftentimes gets lip service in companies. The fourth would be decision-making authority needs to be pushed towards the information. This is a a great concept that David Marquet in his book, uh, Turn This Ship Around, came up with as a result of his work on the nuclear submarine Santa Fe. He discusses the historical naval perspective and practice of pushing information to authority. So I need uh, some time off. It gets pushed up, and I'm a say I'm a sonar operator on the on board. It gets pushed up a chain of command and needs five signatures for me to take my time off. That's pushing information to authority. What David did was he turned that around and now is pushing authority to information. So it's it's a flattening out of the or, of the organization. It's a it's a, a delegation of authority. And the more you do that, the, the, the more easy decision-making is going to be. You want team-based rewards and appraisals, not just only for individual incentive, incentives. And here I'm showing my, my bias, especially in the sales area, for salary plus bonus as opposed to commission. In most situations that I'm familiar with, the commission systems will really work against developing strong cohesiveness on teams and will destroy cultures. So that's a whole nother topic for another another time. And then as we look at the last point, we would say that an open culture with easy access to relevant information that's provided to senior management is so necessary. So you want that open culture and you want easy access to information. You want dashboards, you want, you want data coming at you that's relevant and timely. And if you have all of those things, then you're, you're going to start to really build a cohesive team. So thank you for your listening today. I've enjoyed our conversation. And I think what would be interesting is for the listeners to think about what Michael's just shared in the context of the meetings you have and seeing what you can apply to make your team meetings more engaging. Harry, that's right. I'm, the question I'd leave you with is, what is your company doing to ensure world-class team performance? Be thinking about that. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of CEO Brain Food. To listen to all past episodes, as well as view the show notes that we create for each episode, head on over to ceobrainfood.com.